You are now listening to The Oliver Manley Show. Hey everybody, my name is Oliver Manley, so you're listening to The Oliver Manley Show. If this is the first time that you're tuning in, this is a place where we get an inside look at the breakdowns of influential people and find out the insights that allowed them to break through it. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the first couple of episodes, this started off as more of an experiment. And once I started recording a couple of interviews with people who've actually made an impact on my life, who's, who've actually inspired me, I realized how important this conversation is. Sometimes we forget that the people that we admire and the people that we look up to are also just human beings. They have struggles and challenges of their own. And behind some of the, you know, the, the highlight rule of Facebook, there are real struggles and breakdowns that they experience. But what's so, so interesting is how they face them, how they show up inside of them. They have tools and wisdom and structures that they, that they utilize so that they can be resourceful, so that they can actually break through some of their most incredible challenges. And some of them are really, really recent. So I, I suggest you go and take a listen to some of the previous interviews and see what you think. And if you do get value from it, I would love for you to share it, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. That is the best way for us to spread this important message. Today, we have a very interesting guest. His name is Stephen Farquharson. He is one half of Two Helpful Guys. And Two Helpful Guys, you can find them on YouTube and Facebook. That's the number two helpful guys. They are self-help comedians. So they actually have skits where they're poking fun at the whole self-help and personal growth industries. And uh, some of my favorite episodes are the ones where they talk about meditation. What actually goes on inside your head during a meditation? So you can look that one up and uh, get a laugh or two. But what's really cool is while they are poking fun at it, it's also empowering you and making you think. And it's just really coming from a loving place. And I think it's really needed because in a, in a world where so many people are preaching quotes and, and, and motivation from the top of a pedestal, these guys are doing it in an entertaining way. So you're kind of like, you're, you're entertained, you're, you're laughing, and it's actually, it's so honest and so truthful. You can totally resonate with it. And at the same time, you're learning something and you're actually considering a different perspective. So Steven also is a rapper and rapping is something that he's actually, it's, it's an aspect of his, of his life that's been reborn. And we talk about that inside the interview and uh, his raps are, are, are also motivational, but they're deep and they're intense and they're emotional. I just saw him perform back in November at uh, One Last Talks, an event held by Philip McKernan, who will also be a guest on the show. And at One Last Talk, he did his one last rap. So he rapped about his life, about his story, and what his message would be if it was the last words that he had on this planet. And uh, people were brought to tears. People were emotionally moved. There was a standing ovation. I was in tears. Uh, it was a very, very incredible experience being one of the audience members uh, in that room that day. The first time he ever he ever rapped on stage. Steven, he is also a coach. He's a life coach. So he supports people in their creative expression, in their self-expression. 
He has really, really great tools and insights to help people transform aspects of their lives and, and become more aligned with who they truly are. Steven just has so many gifts, so many talents, so many skills, and I think you'll get a ton from this conversation. It gets really deep. It gets really intense and really raw. Um, I, I really appreciate Steven's vulnerability here. He talks about dysfunction in relationships that he's been in. He talks about his challenges with his health and how it, how it uh, formed his worldview for a period of his time. He talks about putting to death some aspects of himself and, and the process that it took to actually be reborn as the artist that he is. There are so many great tidbits here that I think you'll get value from. So I, I, I really think you'll enjoy it. So please let me welcome to the show, Stephen Farquharson. Well, thanks for doing this. No problem. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> it's my honor to have you here and uh, record this conversation with you. I think uh, you, you were one of the people who actually kind of lit a, lit a fire under my belly to get this going. Nice. So you were the one who discovered that I had this hidden first episode that I recorded. And it was, I guess, a couple of weeks, maybe four or five weeks. And I just buried it, never listened to it. I still haven't listened to it. I don't want, I don't want to listen to it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it's just like, what are you doing? Share this with the world. Put this out there. <laughs> Yeah, and then we here we are a couple of weeks later, and I've interviewed a couple of people already, and and you're one now. You're one of them. That's beautiful. I'm excited to be a part of it, man. I'm really, really excited. I think that you're going to be great at doing interviews, and I, I kind of have my own vision of the types of things that might happen, and so it's like uh, I'm like predicting, and I'm going to see if if what I think might come true. Uh, might come true but we'll see what happens we'll see yeah it's just an experiment for now we'll we'll see what it turns into and who's interested in this but um tell me about your year what was the last i mean by the time people listen to this it'll be 2017 but um what was 2016 like for you Ooh, 2016 for me was a complete turnaround it was kind of a like Ooh, it was like a complete reinvention. Everything I, every direction I thought I was going in, um, just changed. I mean, life kind of, uh, showed me different ways that I could travel. Like, for example, when I started off the year, I was, um, coaching and doing workshops. Workshops was like the direction that, um, me and my business partner, Leroy, as you know, him, um, we thought we were going to be going in that direction. And then at some point throughout the year, I guess just through doing little experiments, just as I, I always like to try new things, um, I put up a rap video, um, I'd say about like halfway through the year. And a lot of people liked it and a lot of people were interested in it. And from there, I've been like rapping my whole life, but I've never really told anyone until this year. And it's like, your within... secret rapper. <laughs> it's uh, my, my secret Double O Steven. <laughs> That'd be a good rap name. Oh my That's God. That's pretty good, eh? <laughs> I, I still need one. So I'm, I'm open to suggestions if anybody has any. And um, yeah, I put out like one rap video. It got quite a bit of attention. And then I was like, oh, maybe 
I should like do another, you know, just taking it one step at a time. And by the time the like third one was out, I mean, I had ended up um, getting the offer to go and perform at one last talk, which for somebody who has only put out a couple rap videos and then getting to perform in front of like 200 people, it felt like it was a sign, you know, from the universe to some extent. And so and, and, I did that. And tell us what One Last Talk is. Oh, so One Last Talk is an event by Philip McKernan. And it's where eight speakers come together. They're regular people with, you know, regular stories. And when we say regular, we don't mean that they aren't extraordinary in any way. It's just more so to say that everybody has an extraordinary story, no matter how like regular you think you are. And the speech that they give is based around what they would say if they only had 15 minutes left to live. So it is a very, very powerful event. Um, I don't, he's never had a rapper at one of these events before. And when he asked me to perform, he didn't even ask me what I was going to perform whatsoever. He just said, um, one of my friends essentially mentioned to him, Hey, did you know my friend Steven raps? And he was like, you rap? Come rap for us at one last talk. <laughs> so it came completely out of nowhere. There was no way I would ever predict that just by me releasing a few rap videos, because I thought it would be fun, that I would end up on stage in front of 200 people, which was a huge deal to me. So I got up on that stage. I ended up doing my rap about the message I would want to spread if I only had a few minutes left to live. Like if this was the last thing I was ever going to express, this is what it would be. I wrapped that and it was one of those turning point moments that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Hmm. It, um, it taught me a lot. It showed me a lot. I was fucking I had... crying watching that. <sighs> yeah, there watching was, um, you. Just like I was like, wow! It took you a it, it took you a long time to get to this place, and the fact that you're standing on stage when less than twelve months before you were not even taking ownership over this yeah. aspect of who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was less than a year before that. I remember us sitting and being in conversation, and me having a hard time admitting that I had this artist side to me. I had buried it for so long. I'd spent so long thinking, you know, I'm never going to make money off of that. Uh, it's time to be more serious and, you know, own a business or whatever the case may be. So I had abandoned that artist part of me for a very long time. Yeah. Cause obviously you're an artist, but, you got to grow up at some point, right? You got to go get a mortgage, get a job, mm -hmm. get realistic. <laughs> that is what everybody tells you. But after having these experiences this past year of letting myself experiment with um, the artistry and really acknowledging the fact that it is an experiment, it takes mm -hmm. a lot of the pressure off. And then I actually did it. I put some stuff out there. And it's been like a complete 180. You know, my life has completely changed. And now 
have people giving me more recognition over rapping and being like more interested in my story and being more interested in what I'm up to just because I started rapping than when I was doing all of these inauthentic things before. So that that's huge. I mean, you stepped into you, your passion as a rapper, as an artist, mm -hmm. exploring it and looking at it as an experiment. And just by you kind of stepping into it and being more true to you, now people are leaning in. And it's yeah, like, it's, it, a, it's a different type of effort because it doesn't sound, it doesn't look like you're trying. Mm. So the difference between it is when I was doing things that were inauthentic, there was like a work type of effort. It felt like mm. it was work. Like at one hustling. point, yeah, hustling, right? Like at one point, um, my business partner, Leroy, we um, run a page called Two Helpful Guys where we put out video content. And at one point, the video content we were putting out was very inauthentic. It was ripped off from what we thought people wanted, not from what we wanted and what excited us. And that was work. That was like, yeah, hustling. That was doing like, I don't know, market research. Like, what are people going to like? And, you know, focusing on, on that stuff a lot. When it comes to creative process for me, I have found that because it is more authentic, it's less about hustling and more about dealing with like immense amounts of fear, at least for me, because it's like a real part of myself that I'm mm -hmm. putting out there. And I think that's what makes it impact people more, but that's also what makes it so scary to do it and to um, show more and more of myself. Cause right now I think I'm at like 50%, but I, I got a lot more to go. So what do you think it was that had you come to the realization to take that first step after b having it buried for so long, or, or maybe we could, we could even go back to like, why, why was it buried? I mean, the, the reason why I'm doing this show is to find out what is, you know, what was the unique story, the unique process that you went through? And then looking back, can we pull out some insights, uh, the insights that allowed you, that empowered you to break through your breakdown? Mm. So, so what was it that had you bury this, this truth? The, the time when I buried it, I spent a lot of time when I was younger. I was in a band. I was playing drums. And... I loved it, but, um, the fact that it didn't work out, like getting five people together to be in a band, to play, to all be committed, especially when you're like, you know, from 16 to like 19, 20, it's, it's really hard and it didn't work out in our case. And something about that, um, really, really spurned me, you know, it really, um, left a, spurned. left a scar. Yeah, I don't mean? know if that's a real word. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have the Urban Dictionary, that one. It, um, it left a mark, you know, like yeah. it kind of... The fact that the band fell apart? Yeah, the fact that it was so hard to keep together okay. that eventually um, it was only like two of us who were working really hard and kind of carrying things. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, it all kind of fell apart and it fell apart at the same time that my life was kind of falling apart. And so I think, and when you say your life was falling apart, what does that mean? Ooh, um, the girl that I like loved or uh, it was, it was some twisted version of love coming from my end. It was a very unhealthy, toxic relationship. Um, mostly because of me, but the girl who in my head, I told myself the story. I love this girl. I want to marry her. Um, it all fell apart. So it was, it was a relationship falling apart that Hmm. really, um, caused kind of like an avalanche in my life. And then everything was free game to fall apart at that point because I was a mess. So my band also kind of fell apart kind of around the same time. And, um, yeah, I think having that experience of just failing, trying so hard at something, like putting so much of just your free time into it. <laughs> were you guys performing? Were you doing gigs? Were you recording? Like, were you doing anything? So we were recording. We did one gig ever. Um, one of the big issues, one of the big life lessons that I learned from that whole experience was that nothing good can happen if you don't put your stuff out there because mm-hmm. we had one specific no one hears it. Yeah. Nobody hears it. Nothing can move forward. You can't gain any opportunities. We had one specific band member who just, he was a perfectionist and he didn't want to release anything until it was perfect, which nothing is ever perfect. So that was very frustrating. It was kind of one of the reasons why everything fell apart as well. How long were you together for? Oh man, I'm not 100% sure, but it was definitely like four or five years. Wow. Something like that at least. And how often would you practice? Um, It had its ups and downs. When you're younger, I don't think you take things as seriously. I think um, I would practice a lot individually and the other band members, uh, some of them would practice a lot individually together. It wasn't super often. Like once every- What kind of music was it? Uh, it was, I don't know how to describe it. I guess like heavy music, like heavy rock inspired by Japanese rock and inspired by jazz. Cool. Um, very technical, probably <laughs> way above our own heads a lot of the time because our guitarist was just like a prodigy. So <laughs> nice. he wrote stuff that was insane. And I wrote stuff way above my own caliber as well. So, yeah, that... What was the breaking point? The breaking point was just getting fed up with things not moving forward, feeling the need for change in my life in total. Mm -hmm. And then I just, like, I, I wanted so much change that I was, like, looking for limbs to cut off. I was like, I'm getting rid of everything because I was in a breakdown. And so, essentially... When, yeah, I quit the band, uh, my relationship with a lot of the people uh, survived, but there was still scars, you know, there were still scars from yeah. it. And the final straw was my two roommates. One of them was a part of the band, my two like roommates who I currently live with. And we were moving into the house that we currently live in. 
and they were like, oh, like, we're going to have a basement. We can practice all the time. And like, you can play drums for us and we'll be in a band. And um, when we were moving into the house, I knew that I needed to put kind of the final nail in the coffin of that old life of mine. So I told them I quit drums, never playing drums wow. again. And I gave them my drum set. <laughs> so it's like a $6,000, $7,000 piece of equipment. And I was just like, here, you guys What made you it. decide that? What made you decide that, fuck it, I'm done with this? Hmm. I was becoming interested in other things. Um, coaching was on the horizon. Making YouTube videos was like on the horizon. I was kind of living a double life for the end part of this story. And I had to just decide. I had to. Was that a fear? Hmm. I think I was just afraid of people expecting things of me. I felt a little bit trapped that if I don't do something extreme, they are going to like continually pressure me to play drums, to be in a band, to do all this stuff. So I just did the most extreme thing I possibly could. I was like, here, take my drum set. It's yours. I'm never playing drums again. And I'm going to follow this new path. Like they'll drag you back in. Like unless you do something drastic, they're going to still hold on to the, the hope of Steven's going to be our drummer. 100%. It was like, it was mostly dead, but I needed to put that last nail in the coffin so that there was no question that like, this is over. And at least you're over, like you're over it. Yeah. And what did um, that feel like? Oh, it was like, it was like losing a loved one. Grief? Um, yeah, a lot of grief. Loss. <laughs> yeah, playing drums, writing music. Um, that was like my way of expressing myself before I even really knew what it was helping me do. Like before I even mm. knew that that helped me express myself, it was there for me. So um, yeah, ending that part of my life was really, really painful. And I think I like buried it almost as like a tra traumatic memory because, you know, zooming forward a little bit, me and you had been in conversation for over a year after this, before I ever even mentioned any of this to you. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a complete mystery. <laughs> so why do you think you hid it for so long? Hmm. I, I just... I, when I made that decision to bury that part of myself and to kill that part of myself, um, you literally did kill it. Like I literally killed bullet it. in it. Yep. It was dead. Like it just didn't, I used to brag about it and stuff like that. Oh, I, you know, I play drums. I'm good at drums. So I can write music. All of that died. <laughs> like it immediately became like it never existed. And I think it was a way of like, I don't know, coping, surviving the fact that I was, getting rid of this whole part of my personality. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to. And did it, did it actually feel like you lost a whole part of yourself by, by killing it like that? Hmm. It was like a double edged sword. There was the pain of losing this part of myself, but there was the excitement and the novelty, the newness of 
getting into personal development and coaching and videos. Mm -hmm. So even though I didn't bring as much of that artist part of me into the videos we made, they were kind of more, at certain points, they were more commercialized, you know, us making things that we hope people will like and that we hope people will pay for rather than for the excitement like for the artistry. Like selling out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like you totally sold out, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to necessarily <laughs> Call say it that. that way, but yeah, it's true. It's kind of what it is. Mm. You had this artistry, you had this creativity, you had this passion that you were proud of, that you were excited about, you would tell people about it, and then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, well, was was there a part of you where it's just like, yeah, all you motherfuckers were right. Like the people said, if there were people around your life who were just like, you know, grow up and get serious and quit pursuing this music stuff, it's not going to go anywhere. Were there people like that in your life? And did you have that feeling of like, fuck, yeah, they're right. I do need to do something that's commercial. When it comes to like, if you were to label them haters, because um, that's what a lot of people like to call them. Who love you? I think <laughs> who love you but like they hate on your dreams kind of to some extent mm -hmm. um what i have to say and i think that a lot of people um don't think they have haters or they think they overblow it or whatever the case may be i feel like it was a unspoken subtext from the culture around me from the people i love from from everyone mm -hmm. it's not really something that like people said like hey, grow up, you know, like they didn't have the balls <laughs> to say that to me, I guess. <laughs> but they would say like, oh, you're still doing that band thing, so huh? So cute. Oh, yeah, like, that's really oh, cute. that's Steven. so nice. <laughs> it's so nice. Don't you love like, that? It's super fucking patronizing. I don't know if I can swear, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, did, you, did you find that during that time there was like people, so you had some people who were not, you know, necessarily haters but there is that subtext like you were saying where it's just like oh that's really cute and oh how nice you're pursuing music but did you did you also find that um i'm not sure what you're actually you know what describe your environment that's what i'm trying to get to like was the environment around you supporting you being art an artist like your parents were they artists were there people around you who were sharing and creating what was coming from the heart, from their mind? Were they writer, writers or filmmakers or like doing these side side things? So that did not really exist around me at all. So um, you're in a vacuum. Yeah, pretty much. Like my bandmates had like dreams of stuff like this and they were making a little bit like with me. But besides that, I mean, I was doing it and I believed it was possible for some reason, but there was no evidence around me to tell me that this was possible. Wow. And um, I think in my family, they don't really bother you about what your plans are with life and stuff like that. Like it's very much uh, apathy maybe over everything. Indifference? Indifference, yeah. A little bit of support, like my mom specifically, yeah. Um, uh, kind of supported us a little, but yeah, it was kind of indifference. Like I was kind of left to my own devices. Like you just, ha you had to be the one to kind of keep yourself excited. 
Yeah, excited, it? motivated. There wasn't anyone. It doesn't seem like there was anyone around you who was proving the possibility. No, none of that existed. Um, the first time I got that feeling of making a money off of doing things that I care about and things that I'm passionate mm-hmm. about and is possible was when I saw you at um, the first integrated self that I went to. I remember literally going home and journaling. Holy shit, it's possible. It is possible. Like <laughs> That's awesome. That was and what was time. possible? Like, what did you mean? Um, just living a life on your own terms, doing things that come from your heart and doing things that matter. I think before that, I was like pretty okay with um, pursuing this stuff and having it never work out. Like, I was just like, there was just no other option for me. Like, people talk about, oh, you should go to school. Like, people would always tell me, oh, Steven, you're so smart. You should go to school. And I didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do, but I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that those other paths were not right for me. Mm-hmm. And so I just spent years resisting the, oh, you're so smart. You should go to school. Oh, you could, like, you know, become an electrician like your dad. Oh, you know, you could, like, do this and you could do that. I had to just spend I love years the voice that, that you give them because I'm sure they all sound exactly like that. It does. It's so <laughs> condescending. It's like, oh, damn it. I had to hear it every day, especially during that period. There's a certain period in, like, a young person's life where people are just going to ask you constantly oh what are you in school for mm-hmm. and then you're like oh well there's an I'm age not in yeah school. yeah and they're like oh you're not in school <gasps> like it's unheard of right what are you doing with your life oh so, i'm in a band oh that's nice so when it started to go so when he started to do the whole um bullet in the head of this dream mm-hmm you know, now that we got a little bit of backstory on, you know, who was around you, what was around you, what wasn't around you in terms of just not really having like a foundation of, you know, just people reflecting back at you that it's like, hey, you can create a life around what you love, around what you create from your heart. So did it, did it feel like it kind of validated them? Was there, was there a part of you at all? That was like, shit, these people were right. Yeah, like, fuck, they were right. It's like, maybe I should be more realistic. Well, I mean, I'm I'm curious if there's like a little part of you that kind of died, that kind of just like, just was, just began to settle a little bit. Mm. Because for you to not share after a year of talking with me, that Mm. you're, that you rap, that you make music, it's like, that, that, that must be really painful. Yeah, honestly, when you bring this up right now, I, I feel it, like, right in my chest. Like, I <laughs> I, I really do. Um, yeah, there was... I just felt so, so lost and defeated. And I didn't want to admit it to the people around me. I kind of kept on as much of a brave face as I could while I was going through that kind of grieving process Mm -hmm. around like, well, my purpose is gone now. Like my mission in life, like no longer kind of exists. It's this part of me that I've, 
you know, killed off. And and how long were you dreaming this way? Like, so you're the dreaming. band was like four or five years, but mm-hmm. how old were you when you were just like, oh, music? That's what music I want to do. Oh, that's what I want to do. That's oh man, that be. was <laughs> that was so much of my life. I used to when I was like. 12 listening to rap songs that my brother had recommended to me i would like walk down the street imagining myself on stage rapping and like that's that's been (laughs) an image in my head my whole life like as well as a lot as much of my life as i can remember to be honest some of my earliest memories are just me walking down the street doing like little hand signs to myself like i'm a rapper like yeah swinging my hands left and right and being like oh and like listening to the song (laughs) Being like, oh, I could rap this to people. <laughs> and, and, um, and then then you get to a point where all of that dreaming and all of that visualizing and imagining mm-hmm. just stops. Yeah, it's like I'm not allowed to indulge in that fantasy anymore. I have to kill that part of me. And um, yeah, it was uh, really hard. Um I felt like I never necessarily, I mean, there were little moments where I was kind of like, shit, should I go to school? Mm -hmm. Like, are they right about that? There were little moments like that. But I think um, the pain on the inside just over, overrid that. It was overriding that like 99%. What was the pain? Like, what was the source of the pain? Was it the fact that it didn't work out or was it the fact that you buried this part mm-hmm. of yourself like or well, this you, is you like, killed off a whole potential life path for yourself mm-hmm. essentially i had killed off this life in my mind even a little bit before i kind of told the people around me mm-hmm. like before i made before i gave away my drum set with that final nail in the coffin i had killed it quite a while before in my mind and this was so this was kind of before coaching and stuff like that before a new venture had cropped up there was like an in-between phase where it was like music is done coaching and stuff like that hasn't begun yet and during that part um it was just like a sense of purposelessness like i don't have anything to contribute to the world i know the things that aren't right for me and how do you, like, des- how do you help- describe the purposelessness. Um, just feeling useless. And mm. yeah, feeling useless. Feeling like you just don't matter. Or feeling like I don't matter, I should say. And then how did that show up in your day-to-day? Like, did it show up in, like, being lethargic and decisive, not taking care of yourself? Like, that, like how did it show up? It definitely... Yeah, showed up in that exact way, like just <laughs> just treating myself like absolute garbage. Shit. And um, and yeah, there was like, as I said, like the girlfriend who um, like I wanted to marry and stuff. Her hooking up with somebody else and them eventually becoming engaged and things like that. This was all going on at the same time. Yeah. So it was like my entire world had crumbled. It was just ripped apart, brick by a painful brick and I spent a lot of time as rubble just rubble on the ground until eventually 
I found some personal development stuff and I, I started to build myself up uh, brick by brick into something new. But, what, um, what was the moment? Like, was there a moment of clarity, like a moment of truth where you're like, fuck, I can't, I can't continue to feel like this, to feel like I'm just rubble, that I'm useless and something needs to change and it needs to happen now. Was there a moment like that? Yeah. Um, I remember it was one day while I was walking outside because I used to take these walks um, in winter and I would like be super underdressed, just not caring about my health, kind of like hoping I get frostbite or something. <laughs> um, and I was outside and I just got so hungry and I kind of realized like, I don't even remember the last time I ate, you know, like I just, I just don't remember the last time I ate. And this kind of survival part of me kicked in where my body kind of just woke up again because I think I had been ignoring like all signals from my body for quite a while. That's why I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping properly. I wasn't, you know, drinking any amount of water. And my body just kind of like woke up and was like, Steven, you need to get in check. Like you need to just eat. That was the first like, like an inner voice. Yeah. Kind of like an inner voice. It was like, it was like my conscience had finally like broken through like the, mm -hmm the sensible part of me or, or something, the survival part of me was like, dude, put food in your stomach, like take care of yourself. Like, you know, you might die. <laughs> like this can't go on. This is not sustainable. And, and is, would you say, was there a part of you that was like punishing yourself? Oh yes. 100%. That's for what though? What were you punishing yourself for? What were you guilty of? Like, what were you? Um, just being a terrible human being. I had, um, I had ruined the lives of many women in my life. And that's why that girl ended up, uh, that's why we ended up parting ways because, um, I had like abused her quite a lot emotionally. And I had abused a lot of the women in my life emotionally. Um, what do you think? That Cause it was from? just, why do you think you did that? Uh, because, well, when I was younger, I had my blood disorder, ITP, um, and when ever I would be upset about it, so I'm about seven years old and I'm in the hospital and say, I start to get upset, start to like, uh, cry a little bit. Mm -hmm. My mom specifically, but everybody around me would kind of amplify that they would go into like protection mode. And so I would cry a little bit and she would like kind of have like a breakdown. Like she just wouldn't know how to deal with it. So she'd try and make me feel better and oh no. And like kind of go into panic mode and stuff. And if I would get frustrated, she'd go into like protector mode again mm -hmm. and get angry on my behalf and be like, where are the doctors? Where are the nurses? Like, this is ridiculous. Like my son is waiting yeah. and stuff like that. So she was, um, really trying to protect me, but she was, uh, exacer exacerbating. She was, uh, exaggerating. I'll use that word. Um, my emotions kind of like reflecting them 
a hundred times. Yeah, so, so you were in pain, let's say like mm-hmm. a factor of ten. Mm-hmm. She would be she would be ten times in more pain. Yes, she would be a hundred if I was ten. If you were ten, she'd be a hundred. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and what do you think that taught you? It made me very uncomfortable, and it just showed me, like Stephen, who you are your like honest expression of your emotions is painful for the people around you. And um, yeah, I internalized that. that. Really... Sorry, you go internalized ahead. that. Yeah, I internalized that. And I started just putting a smile on for everything, burying absolutely every negative feeling that came up. And so whenever I get a needle, I'm the happiest kid in the world. And the doctors and nurses are like, oh my God, this kid is laughing and smiling and like making jokes with us. Like he's so amazing. But in reality, I was just burying everything. Like if I So like your truth inside of you was, this is my experience. I feel like I'm being tortured or I'm in pain or whatever it was. And no one else got to see that. Like you didn't, you, you began to stop letting other people see the truth of your experience. Like everyone yeah. else saw, I'm great. Don't worry about me. I'm good. Is that yeah, what you're saying? I pretty much, I buried it all. I put on a happy face over top of it. And um, I got very, very good at it. So good that I eventually tricked myself into thinking wow. that I was happy and that nothing's wrong and that the right way to handle everything is just to laugh it off. Cause you know, you only live once. What's the point of being upset? And how that the lead point? into the women? How do you connect Um, that dot? Essentially, I wasn't allowing myself to feel any of the emotions. And at first, I could just laugh it off and kind of joke it off. And that was enough to, like, bury the emotions. But eventually, I really had to pile on more and more and more to distract myself. So I started piling on drugs. Whenever I get upset, I'm just going to smoke weed. Whenever things start to rise up, I'm just going to, you know, drink with my friends. And then eventually, um, when I was in that state, it was a very, like, numb state. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to feel any of the bad shit inside of me. So I had to bury everything. And that buries even the good feelings. Right? I had this, like, fake good feeling, this mask. But every other emotion is buried underneath. So I started to, like crave like love and these good feelings um and since i couldn't get them from inside of myself because that meant unlocking the whole pandora's box i went to women and i was like i'm just gonna Mm. like suck as much love and affection and like you know sexual affection and all of the things that i think represent love and affection from them as much as i can and how did that turn into emotional dysfunction with them and abuse, as you put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were needing be- from them. You were trying to draw in what you needed mm-hmm. from them. Love, affection, attention, stuff that you couldn't give yourself. And earlier you were saying that you, like it kind of began to fall apart because, and then those are kind of destructive relationships. Mm-hmm. 
So I was kind of a vampire. It was like, to some extent, a one-sided relationship. And I just didn't have, because I had built these like walls around my emotions. I had like buried them, put them in a box, like whatever metaphor you want to use. It was like 30 layers deep until you could get to my emotions. Because of that, I just had no real ability to empathize. Yeah. So I, the combination of wanting more and more and more love from women, because it's never going to be enough if it's not coming from inside of you. Mm -hmm. um, and having zero empathy led to me just being on a rampage of sleeping with as many women as would let me. And, and what did that uh, do for you? Did you get um, what you needed? <laughs> uh, all of these, these what was that helping. <laughs> for a time it worked for a time but it's like drugs you didn't. always need to go harder and harder bigger and bigger more powerful. <laughs> yeah. you know it's yeah. um it became not enough mm -hmm. after a certain point and so i needed more and more and more until eventually it exploded in my face and so what was that explosion like what was the that final nail in the coffin in this coffin mm -hmm. the final nail in this coffin which um as i said kind of happened around the time that i was cutting off this artist part of me it all it was all kind of in a jumble yeah. in a messy jumble at the same time um the final nail was who Okay, the actual final nail was I was laying in bed with, I don't think I've told anybody this story. Um, I was laying in bed with the girl who um, who I had wanted to marry and stuff like that. And at this point, I had been kind of trying to be better. It was kind of like a false trying to be better. Yeah. The little, a little bit of that. I hadn't um, opened that Pandora's box of emotions, but I knew that moving forward, just sleeping with girls and stuff like that was not sustainable. And I didn't know why I was doing it or any of that stuff, but I was just trying to make some sort of change, but without the right information, it's impossible to change. So I've been trying to get back together with this girl and prove to her that I can be better. And it was just not working because I wasn't addressing the fundamental issues. Mm -hmm. So we were laying in bed one day and our friends had just left and I sensed something was off and she, we were looking at each other and she said like, uh, I met somebody from America and I think I like him. And, um, we had a conversation around that and I remember shaking, like literally just vibrating yeah. so intensely and I just like couldn't handle this information and um, we ended up going to sleep um, when I woke up I just kind of had the realization of like like this is a lost cause I'm trying to hang on to like this thing from the past and it's dead and it's time to let go and i don't think i handled the situation properly in any way because the next morning when i woke up we i don't think we said a word to each other i think i just 
got up, looked upset, and she could tell. So she kind of knew what was coming. Yeah. And I just, I just got ready and I left. You didn't even say and anything. I didn't say anything. I sent her a text later on saying sorry and stuff. And then she said, I think it's best that we don't speak to each other anymore. Wow. And that was the last time we talked to each other for, I don't know, maybe like a year and a half or so. Mm -hmm. And that's where I made the final nail in the coffin for the artistry and said like, that's it. I'm done. And that's where I started to go a on these A lot walks. of stuff was done. A lot of stuff died over that winter and Jesus. the spring. A lot of stuff um, died, including, I mean, just all my assumptions about who I was as a person, the artist in me. Um, like who you thought women. you knew you were. Like who yeah. you thought you were, who you knew yourself to be, mm -hmm. your identity, your story. Yep. Hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. I'm an artist. Yeah. <laughs> it all it all died. And so you were an artist during a time when you weren't you didn't open up that Pandora's box. And so much of artistry mm -hmm. and so much of creativity is actually allowing yourself to feel emotion and share your emotional experience through what you're creating. Yes. So it's interesting that that's that kind of all it didn't work out. Yeah. One thing I did notice when I was writing music is I would always write sad songs mm -hmm. and I would kind of joke about it and people would comment about it too in my band. Like, wow, Steven, you're good at writing sad songs, but like, that's all you write. And I would be like, haha, yeah, I don't know why. So like there was little <laughs> hints, <laughs> there was little hints that there were things that I was not facing and yeah. they kind of came out a little bit in the music mm. but um tends to do that but yeah right but my brain like couldn't recognize it like i was just like oh it's just what i enjoy writing and what did it cost you to have it buried like how long do you do you feel like it was kind of buried oh my god um it was buried until i was like 24 or so 25 uh, I'm really bad at math, like 12, <laughs> I don't know, from when I was 17 to, or sorry, from when I was seven to when I was 25. So I'm terrible at math, but I, no, no. How, years, how many, how many years did you, did you stop? Like from when you, oh, the when you gave up, yeah. When you gave up and you didn't write or explore music anymore. That is a blur. Okay. But a couple years? Probably around 21 or 22. So two or three and, years? Yeah, two or three years. Yeah. And so what did it, what do you feel like it, I mean, looking back now, what did it cost you to have that side suppressed? Hmm. Hmm. It was like my true identity, I feel. Um, it cost me a certain feeling of expression, mm -hmm. a certain feeling of authenticity, a certain connection to myself and to other people. So I would say, yeah, wow. a sense of authenticity, connection, and um, expression. So just that part of you, like suppressing that part of you, it affected you in a whole bunch of other ways. Oh yeah, definitely. 
Wow. And so what, what, yeah. what do you think it was that kind of had you wake up to the realization of it? Like, was it, <laughs> was it kind of like, I don't know, like what brought it back to life? It was honestly a conversation with you because in the same conversation, um, you, for some reason, I don't even know how it came up. I think it was like half me allowing myself to brag again. Cause remember I said back in the day, I used to be like, Oh, I'm an artist. And like, I create stuff. And like, mm -hmm. I was excited about it. So I kind of brag about it. I think we were in a conversation talking about the past and I was kind of like, Oh yeah, I used to write music. <laughs> and you were like, what? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you planned on and telling me to... when? <laughs> right. It was like a year into us having conversations consistently. And then I was like, yeah. And I used to like, make these comedy videos. Um, but I, I had kind of buried those as well. And um, so I mentioned those two things to you. And I remember you just being like, like, what the hell? I've been missing such a huge chunk of the story. Why has this never come up? And then that made me realize, wait a second, why is there this whole chunk of my story that I don't even mention to anyone anymore? Like, it was like um, I was being like pulled out of water. Like I always yeah. use this expression of the feeling is like a fish being pulled out of water. Like you have no idea the situation you're in until somebody gives you a glimpse of it from the outside. Mm -hmm. Like I had no idea what that this was a fact until something kind of like a glitch in the matrix happened. And then I went, whoa, wait a second. I've been not telling this whole part of my story to anyone for the past like three or four years, like what is going on? And um, in that same conversation, a little bit later, um, I remember being very confused about like who I am and like what I want to do and like the feeling of fulfillment. I remember being very confused because I didn't feel super fulfilled. And you ended up asking me like, like, who are you? It's like a very simple question. You were like, I, ha I have a friend She's like an opportunist, you know, she's, that's what she loves doing. She loves seeing opportunity and taking hold of it. I have another friend. Um, he, something, 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 you gave me another example. Um, and you were like, who are you? If you were to kind of put it in a word. And I was like, I'm a artist. <laughs> and <laughs> I was almost afraid to say it. I was almost afraid to admit it is what I should actually say. And yeah, as soon as that came out, you were like, whoa, we touched on something big here. And I, I didn't know the implications of what I had just said, Yeah. but I felt them. I felt them in my chest. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, saying that word brings up a lot of feelings. Oh my God. <laughs> so... That was kind of the uh, the, being, the fish being pulled out of water moment where I realized what the actual situation is. It's like, I'm an artist and I'm not arting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. And so what, what shifted after that moment? Hmm. So what, what happened? Like, was there like, did you begin just pondering it? Did you begin like exploring it or did you 
put it aside for a while? Like, what did you what did you do with that information? I put it aside kind of for quite a while. I started to play with the idea in my mind that I enjoy being creative. And I had been kind of creating. I, I had been avoiding the music medium Mm-hmm. because that's the medium that most touches my heart. And I was, you know, I had all this shit behind it. I was so afraid of it. I I didn't want to go back to it. But I had been, you know, that creative side of you, or of me anyway, it, it had to come out. So I had been doing, like, writing articles and stuff like that. So I started to embrace the fact that I'm creative a little bit more. I still completely cut out music as an option. That was still, like, that didn't even come into my mind. Um, I was like, yeah, I used to do music, but that's, that's dead now. That's never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of sat with it for a while, um, started to try and embrace it a little bit, but it was very difficult. It was very difficult. And it wasn't until quite a long time later when I finally decided, like, I'm not going to do things for the outcome anymore. I'm not going to do things because I think it's what will make other people like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to do it for that reason anymore. Um, I'm going to do things because they excite me. And the moment I leaned into that statement, that realization, I want to do things that excite me, that light me up. Yeah. Um, the creativity was a natural next step but that took like that took quite a long time that, that took like sure a did. year after this realization it sure did <laughs> and, and when, if you look back what do you think were some of the key factors like what were the breakthrough insights looking back because i could see i could see a few like some of the things that happened or that you found yourself in that kind of allowed some sort of new roots to grow that allowed you to begin to kind of re-examine, re-explore, re-invent this side of yourself. I can see a couple, but I would love to know what you think. (laughs) Cool. I I would love to know what you think at some point as well. Um, So exploring my past, um, the ITP, going through those realizations, the first time I told, um, the story of my ITP in like a very raw way. Mm-hmm. And first time I shared a lot of the stuff that I, that I've shared earlier in this um, interview was at one of your integrated selves. And I think it just exploring much, much more deeply into my emotions um, really, really gave me like that, that inspiration to, go deeper. And the only way I know, the only way I know how to go deeper is through writing really deep writing, whether it be rap or whether it be the, the musical instrumentation side, that's the only way I know how to get like really deep. Um, so that was one of the big ones. Another big one was, um, quitting my second job. I was working like at one point, Money was kind of my main focus. The decisions that I was making in uh, Two Helpful Guys with our video work were based around money. 
the decisions that I was making. And not excitement, like you were saying earlier. And Yeah, and not excitement. The, the decisions I was making around jobs was based on money. So I was working like 70 hours a week at one point, which was... Jesus. It's insane to even say. I was getting no sleep. I was like working until like sometimes 3 a.m. and then sometimes having to be up and at another job for 7 a.m. Like that was a real situation that I was in very often. Um, so I kind of finally shed that. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't survive. And during that period of working 70 hours a week, it put me in a situation where I could not create. I just didn't have the energy. I didn't have the time. So it put me in a situation where I really, really saw what life was like without any creativity whatsoever. Yeah. And I saw j just how disgusting it felt. Yeah. 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 It was, I remember writing in my journal, I haven't created anything in two months. And I remember like writing that line, sitting back and just being like, Oh, like feeling awful God, this about is it. Dis yeah, it was disgusting. And this was after nice. we had had that conversation and I had, you know, like discovered that I'm a creative person and stuff. So this was when I knew that I enjoyed creating things. I, I definitely hadn't explored the depths of it or anything, mm -hmm. but um, I saw what it was like to not create at all. And it was horrifyingly disgusting, just terrible. That's that's the word I that keeps yeah. coming to mind because that's how it felt like just absolutely disgusting. Gross. Well, I think yes. when when we're living a life that's not true to us, that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. It feels disgusting because mm -hmm. it's not right. It's not who we are. Yep. So you yep. said exploring your past, exploring your emotions, going deeper, using writing as the apparatus to explore, mm -hmm. quitting your job, so shedding and letting go of the things that weren't exciting. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? Hmm. I think um, the idea of doing things as experiments mm. and taking lots of pressure off of me, not but like I kind of let go of this belief that like anything I try, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. Like, you know, I kind of had this, um, these expectations of what would come of everything. So like when I first started, coaching i was like this is the rest of my life that's it yeah and i did workshops i'm like this is the rest of my life this is how i'm gonna make all my money from now on and stuff so like i started embracing the idea of experimentation over choosing my like life mission every mm -hmm. time i try something new <laughs> like it's not permanent exactly i think that's a mistake that a lot of people make is Yes. I'm changing career. I'm going back to school. I'm moving to a new city and everything needs to be this final decision. Like for the next 70, 80, 50, whatever years, this is where I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to have. When really it's all kind of, it's all temporary. It's all, oh, yeah. this is what I'll do and who I'll be and what I'll have for now. 100%. Can I share yeah, with you what I noticed? Yes, please. So you said something about operating in a vacuum. Or at least Ooh. 
or at least uh, something along those lines. I think maybe those are my words, but you said when you create something, it needs to be heard by other people. Mm. And so you had this thing buried inside of you and until it finally found its way to someone else's ears and then reflected back at you, you kind of became that fish out of water, like you said. You are 100% right on that one. So when people go do it, try and go through things completely alone, not share about it, not discuss it, uh, burying their emotions like you were. We don't know the con- we don't actually notice the consequence. We don't notice the actual cost because we're operating in a vacuum. Then, as soon as you share, as soon as you have a conversation, as soon as you write it, as soon as it's reflected back at you very clearly, you're like, "Holy shit, this is what I've been doing." I think that's a major one. And then I think another one is. Along your journey, doing things that were, you know, so you were experiencing your emotions and then you would suppress them so often that the one that you were pretending you thought was actually real. And so it's like there's this truth inside of you that you that you buried and everything started to perpetuate and grow from there until it came to the point where. There was dysfunction, there was destruction, mm-hmm. there was pain. And it was like, if it wasn't for that pain, if it wasn't for the real painful consequences, like all it takes is a, is a little crack. You know, there's that, there's that yep. Le- Leonard Cohen quote, everything has a crack. That's how the light gets in. Mm-hmm. And so the crack began because there was this pain. And you're like, holy shit, there's an actual cost. There's a consequence to me being this way. Mm-hmm. And, it, and then it kind of became a catalyst for you to decide, to make a new decision, to take a new path. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I mean, at least to me from hearing it, those seem to be very, very huge. Like and share it with somebody mm-hmm. and, you know, notice the, con- notice the consequences feel the costs and then give yourself the opportunity of awareness and then deciding based on that awareness. Mm -hmm. I was having a conversation with somebody literally yesterday about, um, that idea that like, once I realized that I had been burying all this stuff for this long, that I had been burying parts of myself that, you know, the artist part of myself, all the emotions, like that I've been burying so much in favor of do what other people expect, put a smile on, yeah. uh, laugh everything off. Once I had that moment of realization, I did kind of have a choice. Am I going to continue down that path or am I going to start expressing myself? You know, am I going to start sharing some of what's inside of me? Because while it stays inside of you in the dark, it can grow, it can fester. You can build up all these stories around what it is, what it isn't. Yeah. The moment you share it into the real world, people give you the real feedback. You which, shine a light on it. Yeah. And it, it loses its power over you. I put it out into the world, like a lot of my emotions, a lot of the things I had gone through. Um, and people were like, wow, this really resonates with me. This really helps me. This is beautiful. And like all those things that I oh. thought, like this is, I used to think this is ugly 
This will hurt people. This will, um, there's no use in it, like putting it out there. It's just going to yeah. ruin other people's day and stuff like that. Like I had all these stories built around it while it was in the darkness. When I brought it out into the light, I saw what other people's stories about it would be. Mm-hmm. And they were much, much more positive, much more supportive than my own internal dialogue, which was very negative about these things inside of me that I had um, not been sharing. And the other thing that um, you kind of touched on is, and this isn't exactly what you meant, but it, it sparked this in my mind, was um, you were talking about like sharing it with people again. And it made me think about one of the biggest differences was having people around me who supported me in my expression in general. Yeah. Like people in, in like a tribe of mine where before I was kind of operating in a vacuum as we were talking about earlier, where I hadn't really seen anybody be successful with it. I hadn't, I didn't even have examples at all. Never yeah. mind of people being successful, people trying and being unsuccessful. I didn't have any examples at all. Now I actually had people around me who were artists expressing themselves and it, it gave me a kind of, permission and then i started experimenting (laughs) so so tell us what your what's a day what's a week like in your life now like how do you spend your time how is how has this kind of led to where you are right now obviously there's there's always more work there's always more growth Mm. um but i mean what the, the feeling that a lot of people including me get from you is that you are a lot more aligned with your truth I so am. How do you spend your time and your energy these days? So everyone so, spent like 90% of the time on like darkness, <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the challenges. And I think it's really necessary. That's why I want to do these interviews in this way. It's because we don't always get into the real dark, dirty stories. We just get the rah-rah stories, the motivation. <laughs> Like fuck that, right? I want to know the real stuff. So what? What? What's a, What's your life like now? Give us a little snapshot. Mm-hmm. So now, the, the exact state that I'm in right now is I am giving myself an unreasonable amount of space, just so <laughs> much space. Um, I've cut out almost everything that doesn't excite me. I would rather be sat at home, friggin' just sitting on a couch staring at a wall, than out there doing things for other people because other people have expectations on me yeah. or because, you know, I feel like I need to for other people. Whether they're putting the expectations on me or whether I am, you know, for them, I'm just extremely tired of doing other things, uh, doing things for other people unless I genuinely want to, and I'm genuinely excited to. So right now I'm just giving myself a crazy amount of space and stripping away all the things I don't like so I can learn what do I like? What does excite me? Um, what is my creative process like? So what allows you to do that? I mean, a lot of people, they have jobs, they have bills to pay, they have things like that. I mean, and, and you're talking about taking an unreasonable amount of space for yourself. And some people are probably listening and they're just like, how the fuck am I supposed to do that? I'm giving 40, 50 hours of my life every single week 
to somebody else. So there is a lot of, um, you have to put a lot of faith in yourself um, that you will survive despite the fact that um, I know when I quit that second job working, when I was working like 70 hours, right now I work like 12 to 15 hours a week at like a job. (laughs) So I I do like two shifts and um, yeah. um, So essentially what it came down to for me is I'm an extreme minimalist. So I don't um, have too many financial obligations. I kind of have this belief that the more financial obligations I have, the like less freedom I have, like the more trapped I am. So I've always just been an extreme minimalist. So that's definitely a big boost for me. My like cost of living and my obligations are way down. Yeah. Um, Besides that, I'm coaching, which brings in income and is aligned with the things that I love and the things that I'm excited about. Yeah. So that definitely um, helps support me. And um, there is always this pressure, this extreme pressure of like, okay, Steven, you're giving yourself too much space. You should be out there trying to make money now. Like, let's get back to trying to make money. Let's get back to trying to make money. Like, so I think I want people to kind of look at their own life and look at like, what do you actually need per month like Mm -hmm. to survive? And how much of the stuff on top of that is just one, a story that you're telling yourself about like, I need to make more money. I need to make more money. No, I need to be working this job because I need to make more and more money. Like how much of it is just you telling yourself that story? And also when you look at your spending habits, how much of that is you trying to fill some sort of void by spending more on things that don't really make you happy? Yeah. Like because I spend more time doing things that excite me and I try and cut out the things that don't excite me, I don't really like need to buy stuff. Yeah. You don't need to, to make myself feel better. You don't yeah. Have consumer needs. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I don't, I just don't buy stuff okay. like period. I mean, right. so, I you, buy so you shed your, so you lower your monthly burn. Mm-hmm. So you're very, very clear on what your priorities are, what you need your mm-hmm. money for. And you make it mm-hmm. so that you can afford to have, this space and what else, what else do you do with your time, with your energy? So, yeah, so that's what allows me to have this much space. But besides that, I am literally just, um, exploring what excites me, which right now is writing really good, funny, interesting comedy skits for two helpful guys. I'm loving that. Um, reading, consuming things that are really interesting to me, writing, raps and trying to see how far I can push that Hmm. Um, which is really cool because people are getting like interested in me because of that Um, like I even had a producer friend reach out to me and he wants to record um, a song that me and one of my friends randomly recorded (laughs) like literally randomly nice rap I rapped random verses and then people were like oh my god this is fantastic like need to record this and somebody reached out to me and he's gonna record it for me for free so and um uh, spending time with people i love and uh just like taking care of my well-being as much as i can 
Nice, man. You know, I've, I've essentially slowed my life down, cut out as much as possible of the things that I know I'm not really excited about. Yeah. And then I'm allowing other things to fill that space organically. And like, I could be. That's taken you a long time to get to this place, too. <laughs> oh, it's taken years and years. So, so many years. Wicked, man. Yeah, I'm a. I'm a distraction aholic usually, right? The 70 hours a week, that was a distraction. Mm-hmm. The, um, the commitments that I tell myself I need to uphold to other people, those were distractions. And now you just have less and less and less. Now I've just cut away as much as I can, and I'm just letting the rest cool, of it happen man. organically. And yeah. what are you excited for for 2017? Woo! Uh, exploring more of these creative avenues and the opportunities that are coming from them. Like, it's people tell you this, right? They tell you that, oh, if you just do the things that you love, like, it'll work out. Yeah. And to some extent, I hate giving that advice because I, you know, don't want to sell people on, like, like a false guarantee. False like there, or... Yeah, there are no guarantees in life. But, like, what else can I say? I'm doing the things that excite me. And, and you're living it. That are aligned. I'm living it. And more opportunities than ever are coming towards me. Like, if I were to just, like, list off the opportunities that I, like, currently have on my door, I feel like, like I'm just way too lucky. But at the same time, I had a certain math equation earlier in my life, and that was distract myself, uh, live my life according to other people's rules, and I got certain results. It was terrible, energy draining, I was upset all the time. Now I have a new math equation, do things that excite me, create lots of space for that, and I'm getting new results, which is opportunities come in. <laughs> I'm and it didn't much happen happier. right away, though. Oh, it took so, I think that's so, the thing. so long. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's still a process, 100%. Um, I oh, man. leaned back into the whole cutting out things that don't excite me literally like a month and a half ago. So it's still so very it's, much it's a new us. beginning. It's a new beginning. Yeah. And, Great, man. Yeah. In 2017, yeah, I'm just excited to uh, explore more of this creativity, put out rap-related projects, put out more amazing video content around two helpful guys and um see what opportunities come from that cool man yeah thank you very much well i (laughs) I want to ask you you a couple of bullet like super super quick questions that i've stolen from other podcasters awesome because i find them they, they might be interesting um what's your favorite yoga pose um, mm, mm, I like the warrior pose. I feel really good when I'm in that one. Yeah, nice. it's, I like that for the way I feel while I'm in it. As far as the like stretching that's best for me or uh, I don't know how to describe the difference, but I like that one. And then I also like a camel pose, as we were talking about. Camel toe day. or camel pose? <laughs> camel pose. <laughs> camel pose. Camel pose. Oh, yeah. That, that's a pose. Um, yes. And when you think of success, who do you think of? 
Um, I feel like I should be answering this much quicker. Who do I think of when I think of success? Tupac. Tupac. Tupac Shakur. Because he lived his life on his terms. He spoke the truth, whether it meant death or life. He did what he knew was right. He gave himself to the people. Mm. He was, I'm older than him now. Okay, I'm older than he was when he died. Now, from now on, whenever I watch Tupac interviews, which I was doing last night, I'm always going to know that I'm older than he was. <laughs> and he was just a wow. real, real human being. And, cool, man. And he's immortal. He's immortal now. He'll live forever. He or, sure is. Of... <laughs> uh, if you could speak to your 14-year-old self, what would you tell him? I would tell him that I love him and um, and that you're not wrong. Like just just everything that's going on, it's it's not wrong. Yeah. You know, you're not wrong for how you feel, for the experiences you've been through, for who you are and the way that you cope because of those experiences. I love you and you're not wrong. What is one book that you feel has been the most impactful in the last 12 months? In the last 12 months, that is easy. It is the uh, Tao Te Ching um, by Lao Tzu. Yes. Uh, There was a good, there was a good like three or four month period where I was reading that literally every single night. Like you can read it pretty much cover to cover in like an hour and a half. So I'd read it almost cover to cover every single night. Um, it just calms me down. It uh, helps me zoom out my perspective. And wow. I feel like there's so much truth in there. Every time I read it, I kind of see it from a different lens of where I am in that moment emotionally. And um, one of my favorite quotes is, nature never hurries, yet all things are accomplished. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. If everything that you had ever created and written was completely abolished, disintegrated into thin air, and you only had two or three sentences that three two or three sentences that you can say that were your message to the universe, message to the world that carried great truth, great power, what would they be? I would say you are life You are life. Express yourself and love yourself. You are valuable. Nice. I think I would say that. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. And tell us where everyone could find you and follow you and stalk you online. (laughs) So, um, two helpful guys 
the number two, and it's all one word, on Facebook is um, my favorite place for you to go like and check us out. There's a lot of personal development comedy skits that I'm sure you will enjoy. They're very funny, very wacky, and it's just, um, you know, talking about a lot of the same stuff that we talk about, but not being as serious, you know, t- poking yeah. fun at it. I like, I like it. So Two Helpful Guys on Facebook, and honestly, if you're listening to this and, like, some of the stuff that I've said has hit you, please um, copy my name from the show notes or from the title, because I know it's mm-hmm. impossible to spell. Search me up on Facebook and message me personally. That would be my favorite thing if even one person were to message me personally because of this and just start a conversation with me. That would be um, awesome. That would, that would be like a dream come true. Cool, man. And cool. we didn't talk about this, but will you rap for us? <laughs> uh, right now? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. I wrote something yesterday. And I'm going to try and wrap it right now, I suppose. Yes. Uh, so, so people who are listening, Steven has a thing where if you ask him to rap, he will do it. So the yeah, next time you see back. him in public, Ooh. next time he's randomly ordering a tea or looking through a book of chapters, hey, are you Steven Farquharson? Did I hear you on the Oliver Manley show? Can you rap for me right now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, and we're gonna I'll get do stopped it. all um, over the place from all the five people listening. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I have so many people taking up on that challenge. Okay, so all right, let's do this it. This is something I literally wrote last night. So, like, forgive me, but I'm. This is me taking a risk, 100%. Okay, beautiful. Um, Thank you. I, I want to try, right? Um, why not? Okay. Um, time is moving on. I write another song. I try to write my wrongs. I write my plights and songs. Shit. What's the point of all of this? I look to the abyss as a kind of catalyst. Don't matter. The matter is energy, and I've had it with enemies. Everybody's got a friend of me, and see, I defend this entity, but I am eternity. The world and the universe is in me. I'm purging all perfectionistic versions of the way I think that life should be. I'm building expectations, only constructing this frustration and resisting my destiny. Because I was red-faced, pedal to the metal as I tried to outpace the devil, but I was only going mental. I dropped the pencil and I just sat back because I was stuck. In fact, I knew that I'd lost track of all the things that I truly love and excite me. So I was angry, rightly, with myself. Health and family are important, but I knew my true self was still lying dormant. Tip the doorman and ask if I can take a peek. My inner meaning, see my dreams, things I can't believe. And that's as far as I've gotten so far. Oh, that is sweet. <laughs> that is so awesome, man. Thank you so yeah, much for, do- for doing this with me, brother. It is no problem whatsoever. Such a pleasure to have you on, man. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. And um, I hope that people get something from this. I just want to give a final shout out to Steven for hanging out with me today. It was a great conversation. So many beautiful insights and really raw. And uh, I could really feel some of the intense emotions that he had gone through in his life. 
I think that even though that some of his experiences might not be exactly the same as many of ours, there's definitely aspects that we can all resonate with. So thank you, Stephen, for being part of it. If you are looking for the show notes, you can find it at olivermanalise.com slash five. And obviously, if you got some value, it would mean so much to me if you could rate and review us over on iTunes. So head on over to iTunes, rate and review us. That's the best way for us to spread the word about the show. Uh, last thing, final thing, if you are looking to get in touch with me, there is a great newsletter that I send every single week with the top five recommendations that I have that I find entertaining, empowering, engaging, educational, and uh, it sends you off for the weekend. You get it every Friday, and it's my top pick, so olivermanalise.com slash picks. That's it. If you have any feedback, send it to podcast at olivermanalise.com. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, what you recommend. And um, if you have any ideas for guests for me, that would be great. Send it over to that email address. Other than that, look forward to being with you all very, very soon. Thanks and take care.